guys, what's up? This is Sarah Troutman. And you might notice that we have a new name. It's Defy. So why did we change the podcast title? We changed the podcast title because when I was talking to the team of incredible individuals that I work with, we realized we don't care about fitting into societal or professional norms. We defy them. And that's really been the theme of all of the guests that we've had on this podcast. So why don't we just call a spade a spade? And that's what we're all about. Defy. Is this a show about perfection? Nah, because that doesn't exist. Is this a show full of empty self-help quotes for you to put on your Instagram? Hell no, that ain't our style. This is a show about defying the norms because well-behaved women rarely make history. So come on, babe, come defy with us and learn how you can use the power of behavioral science to live an amazing life. Okay, so for today's episode, we are flipping the script. Um, and when I say we, I'm talking about me and my buddy, Danielle Beal. Hi, Danielle. <laughs> Hi, Sarah. Hi. <laughs> so many of you guys may recognize uh, Danielle's voice from episode three. Uh, people will remember my name and Danielle's incredible story. And we've gotten – it's our so far, it's our number one episode, our number yeah. one most listened to episode. And, you know, people just were so excited, Danielle, to learn about your story, to learn about you and your incredible journey and the work that you're doing. Um, but one of the things that Danielle had and I have been talking about and, and I've received some feedback from other people that have been listening to this podcast is, well, gee, Sarah, uh, <laughs> you like to interview everyone else. And <laughs> maybe every once in a while you offer kind of like a tidbit about something in, in your life, but we don't know your story. And so just so you know, Danielle and I've had many conversations, especially in the last week about this. Uh, and she understands that I am deeply uh, anxious and uncomfortable <laughs> <laughs> about flipping the script and having her interview me today versus me interview her. But I also selected Danielle to to do this because she and I on some level – and I don't know what you think, Danielle. It's like we're total opposites, right? Yes. Like you I are agree. all about like the heart work <laughs> and just being so connected um, and warm. And sometimes I am like, you know, the, you know, big personality, but like yep. a little like hard to get to know and a little kind of like how do you like get beneath the surface type of thing. So I thought there's no one better um, and more honestly, no one that I feel more comfortable with sitting down to like be honest and vulnerable than you. Thank you for that. Yeah, Sarah, I think you've hit the nail on the head. As I was leaving Phoenix uh, last weekend, I was just thinking we could not be more different. Mm -hmm. And um, I felt thrilled that, you know, in this amount of time that we've been spending together, that there's a middle ground and there's a place where we can both sit and enjoy each other and love each other. I think I, you know, I left last week and saying, man, I just fell in love with you. Um, <laughs> and I'm honored to be the one to um, help you tell your story, just like you did me. Um, it is an amazing gift um, to be able to be selected to do that. So I'm really honored. And I just, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to your vulnerability. So I, I am um, not, but I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> I know I've been, I've been rooting you on, like we can do this and, and we're going to do it together because anyone yes. who knows me knows that I'm very much about like, I, I can't really make a connection on the surface. I have mm -hmm. to kind of dig deep and, um, you know, there was a spark between us initially, but just as we've gotten to know each other, um, we've found that place. So I'm really excited for other people to get to know that place, Sarah. So, um, I guess uh, let's start from kind of my perspective. So I knew that I wanted to, uh, reach out to you about five or six years ago, maybe you were doing a business boot camp, and I joined, um, mm -hmm. and knew a couple of, um, people that I'd known in the field and knew that you knew your stuff. I, I knew that you were on top of your game. Um, and I, 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 I was curious about you, um, professionally, you just were amazing. 
Um, and then over the years, I've kind of followed you, but I really didn't understand you, Sarah. Like I, we, I go to conferences and you'd be rocking your J's and, um, you know, and be playing your, your Beyonce. And I mm-hmm. just, I didn't understand you. Um, I, 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 again, knew you knew your stuff, but just couldn't figure you out um, because I, I didn't know you personally on any level. Um, and so I just continued to kind of watch you and be inspired by the work that you were doing and, and watching your professionalism and, um, really, you know, had some hesitations when I wanted to reach out to you over the summer and really had been sitting on like, I should reach out to Sarah Troutman, but not really knowing if we had anything in common or if anything would come of it. And so I did with trepidation and I was very honest about that, you know, uh, saying just, Hey, I, you know, and I, I was very honest about, you know, why I was hesitant and, and, but was pleasantly surprised. I mean, after our first conversation, um, it, it was just amazing. And so uh, I guess to kind of start from the beginning before we start to unpack some of the, the, mm-hmm. the heaviness that we're going to get into is Tell us a little bit about how you got started in this career, because I, I think um, people know that you uh, call yourself ancient um, mm-hmm. in this field as a VCBA. But tell us how you got started and, and how you um, came to be um, in this field. Yes. Okay. So my my behavior analysis love story, which is what yes. I, I like to call it. <laughs> um, okay. So like picture it, right? I'm I went to, I grew up in Seattle, Washington, uh, and I. My parents still live there. I grew up near downtown Seattle. I went to Franklin High School, um, which is also the high school that Kenny G graduated oh. from. Yeah, I don't know if that's like a claim <laughs> to fame or just makes me sound even older than I I'm am. I'm impressed. I'm impressed. <laughs> like there was another high school in Seattle called Garfield High School. And that's where like the cool people went to high school. Quincy Jones went to high school at Garfield. <laughs> Jimi Hendrix went to yeah. high school at Garfield. But honestly, for Franklin, we're like, but we have Kenny G. Have Kenny G. I mean... <laughs> And, and when I was, you know, when I was kind of thinking of what I wanted to do post high school, I knew I wanted to go to, to college. Um, but I think like so many high schoolers, you know, like I didn't really know what I wanted. I mean, I was 18. Like I was like, I just like to have fun. I, you know, I do pretty well in school. I like to, you know, go out dancing with my friends and like, I like to be in leadership positions, um, in my community. Like those were the things that I knew. Um, and I knew that I was going to have to pay for the majority of college. And so I'm like, okay, I need to find a place that's going to give me a lot of as much money as possible. Cause I don't want to be in like horrible student debt mm-hmm. when I graduate. And so I went on this, you know, um, weekend, uh, for potential freshmen to Gonzaga university. And a lot of people now know Gonzaga just because of their basketball program. Um, but when I was looking at going to school, this was in 1995. And so the, just people didn't know that the school as much. And it's a small Jesuit college in Spokane, Washington, which is on the border of Washington, Idaho. So Eastern Washington, um, you know, the Jesuit education tradition is incredible, uh, but I'm not Catholic, but I was like, Hey, this sounds interesting. And basically they gave me like a lot of money to go. And so I figured, okay, I should go to the place where they're giving me a lot of financial support. And so I got a a, a pretty substantial scholarship, uh, academic scholarship to go there. But also when I was in school, I needed to work to help, you know, make money. I didn't, you know, my family couldn't afford um, to put me through school. I needed to really Mm -hmm. help um, support myself. And so my work study job that I got um, when I was uh, a freshman in college was in the teacher education department. Mm -hmm. And within the teacher education department at Gonzaga was the special education department. And everyone in the special ed department at GU were all behavior analysts Mm. um, coming out of mostly University of Kansas. And and so I, you know, this is back when we had, remember like the green computer screens? Yes. Um, all, I yeah. I mean, like we were like basically like one step above green computer screens. This is when AOL, AOL dial up was still a yeah. thing. So it was like, whoosh, whoosh, you know? Yeah. Um, and so the teacher ed department was where I was able to like, you know, use like cool computers because I couldn't yeah. afford a computer on my own. Yeah. Um, and I made like a lot of like copies and everyone was like really nice. But all the special ed professors, I started to kind of get to know them and they were like, Sarah. Like, what are you going to major in? And I was like, I don't know, like law. Like, I want to do something where I'm going to make money. Like, I grew up in a family with Mm -hmm. not a lot of financial resources. And I was like, I never want to, like, not have financial resources. 
Right. And they're like, well, you should really take like one of our like intro to behavior analysis classes. And I was like, come on. I'm like, you think I want to work with people with disabilities like for my life? Like, no way. That sounds really weird. I'm not interested in that. But eventually like they wore me down. And so I was, um, I think it was the second semester of my freshman year or either the first semester of my sophomore year, I, I, you know, time, time gets lost. <laughs> time like, gets I lost. I don't know. <laughs> so it was either 19, it was either spring of 96 or fall of, of 96. Um, when I took an intro to behavior analysis class, um, with Dr. Randy Williams, um, he and his wife, Betty, uh, were professors at Gonzaga. And I was like, this class is rad. I felt yeah. so competent because yeah. the way that Randy instructed us was all behavior analytic. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I was taught to fluency. I had the opportunity to make up. Um, we had quizzes every week. If there was concepts that I didn't understand, I could make up those quizzes to make up those points. Um, it just made the behavior analysis made so much sense to me. I was like, right. oh, this like, of course. It just and, fits. It's Oh, perfect. totally. You know? Yeah. And so I was like, that's it. I'm in. Right. And so my first advisor at Gonzaga was a very young professor in her first professional position after finishing her PhD, and that was Stephanie Peterson. Mm-hmm. Stephanie Peterson now is the chair of the Western Michigan University psychology <laughs> program. Yeah. yeah. Um, and she has, you know, the author of numerous, you know, articles, books, and has had, you know, contributed hugely mm-hmm. to um, uh, the behavior analytic community. Yeah. Yeah. But I was one of her first advisees. Yeah, it, it was so great. And we're still friends now. I mean, it's it's pretty awesome. And so to yeah. kind of watch her professional journey has been great. And she's been so supportive of me and my professional journey. Um, but, you know, basically, I fell in love with behavior analysis when I was 19. Uh-huh. And uh, I ended up, you know, I had to take a bunch of like required courses for things that I, I did not, was not motivated to do. And so right. like my freshman year of GPA was like 3.3, but I graduated with a 3.9 GPA in uh-huh. my major. Um, and so that's where it all started with me. And I got to California because I was recruited to teach at a non-public school down here, Spectrum Center. And my boss was Tyra Sellers, Ah. who is now the director of ethics for the BACB. (laughs) And her boss was Tom Higby, who is a professor at Utah State. And so like they're, you know, this is back when behavior analysis, everyone kind of knew everybody. Yeah. And, you know, so these roots, even though, um, I did kind of a non-traditional, uh, kind of major through at Gonzaga, I wasn't interested in being a teacher. I was the first person that got um, their special ed um, degree with an emphasis in functional assessment. That's what was really interested me. Uh, But yeah, but working, you know, with Stephanie Peterson and then Tyra um, and and then Tom, you know, Mm -hmm. back in like the late Mm nineties was where I got, where I got my start. That is pretty phenomenal. When we were talking previously about your story, there's so much. It's like, again, you know, I I grossly misunderstood you. But as we're talking, it's like I started in this field at 19. And I, Mm -hmm. you know, was the director of a spectrum school, you know, for for a while. And there's just so much, um, you know, that we have in common, you know, our 20 year kind of love for this field. And and, and it's just phenomenal to, to kind of unpack that with you. Um, I know I talk about often that I, that I misunderstood you. And, um, and I think we've talked that there's this misconception about you in the field. How yeah. um, do you find that that's something that's common? Does that come up a lot for you? Yes. Um, and it's kind of, I mean, it's been something that's really kind of followed me I think through, you know, definitely my whole professional career and even before that. And I think part of it is that I think for people like me, it's challenging. I have a very big personality, right? I mean, I have a big personality. (laughs) I have big energy. I bring a lot of passion and enthusiasm to the things that I do. But anyone, um, anyone that knows me also like that really, really knows me. And I will tell you that that is very few people because I'm pretty closed off. Uh, knows that I'm like deeply sensitive. Yes. (laughs) And so it's like this weird, like, you know, interesting dichotomy where I am so forward facing and outward facing and putting myself out constantly. Right. But I'm so sensitive to the feedback that I get, but I like, I can't help myself, you know, like I just, I have what I feel, you know, passionately about something or I'm really excited about something. I want to share it with everybody. Um, And I think sometimes especially in the way that I have, I like I present myself physically um, mm-hmm. has been like 
it's kind of defies the norm in our, in our field. And again, like that's kind of like always been my thing. Like even my route into behavior analysis, like I was the first person to graduate with this emphasis in functional assessment from, you know, Gonzaga. I moved to California and I taught at this school, but then I parlayed that into a consulting career when I was 23 years old, of which I was like, had zero skills to do, but I like made it, I hustled and made it work. I figured it out, you know, um, And I, you know, it's like I started a business at age 27 in my house in East Oakland and, you know, kind of figured that out and, you know, was like, hey, I'm not going to have people, you know, tell me the job that I have to have. I'm going to make my own job. I'm going to make my own path. And that's been something I've had this like fierce independent streak about me. Um, And I think that sometimes that can come off as, you know, it just can be a lot, right? It's a lot of energy. Mm -hmm. Um, But then also because I'm also someone that like loves fashion. I, Mm -hmm. you know, you know me, like I love to wear my J's, Mm -hmm. I wear my hoops. Um, And it's like, I, you know, I'm a white girl, but I live in Oakland (laughs) and then I have black kids. And so like, what does that all mean? Um, And I have this like, you know, deep appreciation for hip hop culture, but also I love Fleetwood Mac. Uh, And so I feel like there's, I feel like there's a lot of, I feel so multifaceted, but I feel like so many times people have, and I think this happens to women all the time, um, put me in like the box, right? Right. And so like, what are the boxes that I feel like I've been put in? Like, I'm, you know, I'm the girl that people, you know, like I've been criticized because I, you know, I'm too much, you know, you're showing too much cleavage and you're, you're too into fashion for behavior analysis or you're too into, to makeup. Um, or, you know, you, you're trying to get too much attention. And so you must be, you know, totally like self-involved. Um, and I think that those are, you know, I've always felt like punished by just being me. And I think it's taken a long time for me to like be okay with myself. Um, because I've always felt like who I am, like, isn't like, I'm never enough. If that makes sense. No, it makes complete sense. And, you know, you talk about having, knowing that you were a natural born leader as mm-hmm. a child, right? And um, this has kind of paved the way for you to carve your own path. And you bringing up stuff like you're this white girl, you know, you have this deep, deep love for hip hop, which now I understand. I mean, mm-hmm. we were in the car for 15 minutes <laughs> last weekend and, and you're like, what was it that you played? Um, I can't uh, remember. Well, there was Megan Thee Stallion. I also think oh. I played like a Drake track. There might have been some Rick it was Ross. Old school. <laughs> there was something old school. And you were I, like, let's play oh. Justin Bieber. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, don't kid yourself, Danielle. I like Justin Bieber too. I'm a believer. <laughs> this isn't about me, Sarah. Don't put me on blast like that. Although I do love, although I am a believer. Um, it's so funny. Um, but yeah, we, I mean, we talk about, you know, and we've been talking about this a lot that I grossly misunderstood you, you know, Mm -hmm. and I didn't give you a chance initially. I sat on reaching out to you to, you know, meet you, you know, Mm -hmm. personally for so long because I couldn't understand all of who you were, you know, who's this white woman and she has black kids and, you know, she's constantly talking about this. And, um, and then, you know, we talked and I'm like, oh, she's from Oakland, which I, you know, which I didn't know, you know, and it just starts to make sense. And then I realized, and I say grossly, you know, misunderstood you because I, I didn't give you a chance. And I think so many people fall into that, you know, Mm -hmm. and I I think that has nothing to do with you. I think that has everything to do with like me, with us, right? Like I have had to straddle, we've talked about this, things my entire life, you know, uh, you know, different um, personas that I've had to put on. You know, I joke about like I'm Digger from Long Beach, you know, and that's where, you know, you get a little bit of the sharpness that I have. Mm -hmm. And then there's Danielle, you know, from Eastville where you kind of get this more professional sense. And it is exhausting having to juggle all of that. And so within that first conversation that I had with you, Sarah, I, I realized like that I had done that really unfairly. Um, and really, kept thinking and have this entire process that we're getting to know each other, like how, like how awful it it would have been if I would have let that kind of guide me and not reaching out to you. Um, because I, I miss the beauty of who you are Mm -hmm. and I I miss the space that I would have missed the space to really get to, to know you. Um, 
And so, you know, as I'm kind of thinking about these things and thinking about our relationship and who you are and how people um, have come to know you, I I know we've talked about this kind of perceived sharpness that you have, right? Like you having to juggle all of this internally, not having a way to navigate that publicly. Um, and so you've had to develop this thick skin. And I think mm-hmm. sometimes that can come off as sharpness. Um, how do you think that originates and, and what do you do with that? How do you navigate that? Yeah. Um, it was so funny. I was in, or it's not funny. It's, this has been an interesting week for me just to provide everyone with a little bit of context. You and I were in Phoenix to, uh, with each other earlier this mm-hmm. week and we had a chance like Sunday night, um, during outdoor dinner that was mm-hmm. socially distanced outside mm-hmm. dinner to yes. kind of talk about, you know, what, like m- my story and like, where does, where some of these things kind of come from? And that really was, um, kind of an antecedent for me to really kind of do some, some thinking. And, uh, it's so interesting. I don't know if I told you this on Sunday, but I was thinking about this today and I'm going to tell you this now. Um, so sharpness. So where does that come mm-hmm. from? There, you know, I mentioned earlier this whole concept of just like maybe of me just like never feeling like I'm enough. And I recognized right. that if in my life, um, if and sometimes I don't know if this has to do with my, you know, relationship, you know, with my dad, which is really great. I love my dad. Mm-hmm. He's a huge mentor to me. Um, or how I perceive myself. I've allowed I've allowed men in my life to have an play an outsized role in how I see who I'm me and I've allowed people that, you know, to say things to me that, um, that are minimizing and I've taken what they have said that is minimizing as the truth about myself. Mm. Um, even if it's not valid, does that make sense? So I, so like, let me give you like, I'm not kidding. This still, uh, this memory to me, it's like it happened yesterday and this happened when I was in ninth grade. So think about it. I'm in high school. And the thing to do if you went to a Seattle public school in the 90s is there were Friday night football games mm-hmm. because there was one stadium near down, near the Space Needle um, Memorial Stadium mm-hmm. where all of the, you know, Seattle Metro teams would play. And so what you would do is like go to the high school football game and then everyone would like go. There's something called Dick's, which is this really great like hamburger joint in Seattle. Mm-hmm. It's still it's still incredible. Uh, you would go to Dick's and like grab a burger and like a milkshake. And then you try to find like whatever, like the after party, like kegger mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. after, after <laughs> that. And so this is like a ride of teenage, pa- you know, passage and something super fun to me. And I remember I once was like with a couple girlfriends and I met some guy that I thought was like really hot mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, kind of chatted with him and then, you know, kind of like hung out with him at a friend's house, um, maybe like a couple days later. And I remember him like we were like kissing or making out or something. And I remember him touching my stomach mm-hmm. and he was just like, Oh, like you're a little chubby, aren't you? Oh. And I remember like thinking like seriously, like in my mind, I was like, Oh my God, I'm an unattractive. I'm the chubby girl. Yes. I'm unattractive. Um, this is, you know, this is horrible. Um, and that, that is me. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm the ugly girl, you yeah. know, and, and this, mind you, this is by some guy that literally probably peaked in like 10th grade. Right. I think, you know, <laughs> likely is not doing well in life now. Um, but I still right. remember this like interaction right. Right. Um, like it was yesterday. Right. And this had like these like incredible ramifications. And on some level, this has nothing to do with that idiot. It right. has everything to do with me. And why have I in my life allowed people to like get into my own head and tell me who I am? Right. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And I think yeah. for so many, I think women especially, I've always felt, and I, you know, and I, and I share this not to like have want people to have like pity on me or be like, oh, Sarah, right. you know, please don't tell me about like your like white privilege life. Like, I want to be really clear about that. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. in no way, you know, trying to like minimize anyone else's experience. I'm just simply saying like, I just know my experience. Right. This is right. just me, and as a and as a way to kind of help people understand me better. Right. Um. I've had to constantly because I am who I am. And again, willing to kind of put myself out in the way that I do. Part of that is that you're going to get, you know, people that don't like it back and they're going to have really strong opinions about it. And again, that's been always really challenging for me to reconcile. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think the sharpness to go back to like your original point comes from almost this like protective mechanism that I've had to create for myself because Mm -hmm. I have received, especially in the field of behavior analysis, 
all kinds of hateration for people that were just like, this girl, like she's not a PhD. She is, you know, she is showing too much cleavage or she, her, you know, why is she wearing tennis shoes to a professional presentation? I had a very, very prominent male in the field of behavior analysis. This happened less than two years ago. Mm -hmm. And I will tell the story too. Yes. Um, I had a very prominent male who is the founder of a very incredible organization say to my face, like, face it, Sarah, you don't have the gravitas to be a leader. Um, and so I don't think that you should just stop doing that. Um, and I remember it was like a dagger to my heart and, you know, it's one of those things where it's like these, you know, these like clear salient experiences for me, especially as they relate to men, um, that have both like wounded me to my core, um, and helped, you know, me, or not help me, but I think it kind of led me to really kind of distance myself from people, but also at the same time have galvanized me to be like, who the fuck do you think you are right. that you're going right. to tell me who I'm going to be? Right. I'm going to be whoever I want to be. And and that's been something that's been really important to me. Um, and I think that anyone that's like worked with me or understood, like I'm all about, you know, trying, carving my own path. Right. Um, and that path is sometimes like you need a machete to get mm-hmm. through the shit that you have mm-hmm. to do to make that path right. for yourself. Sometimes you need a bulldozer. Sometimes yeah. you need bombs. Um, but then also sometimes you need like the softness. And I think the softness piece has been the most challenging piece for me because yeah. I'm used to having to bulldoze. Yeah. And so it's like, how do you like code switch? Right. And yeah. how do you know when you can put down the machete and be your softer self? And I think that I've learned through a lot of experiences that I'm not allowed to like let the guard down. So I don't. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I'm like fiercely protective and like fiercely dedicated to making sure that I'm having that machete path for women, especially behind me to come up. Right. Um, and no, and anyone that knows and has worked with me knows that I will clear that path for you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and I will like, if that means that I'm getting bloodied in the you know midst of it, like I don't care. Yeah. Um, and so there's, yeah. So there's this interesting kind of, again, you know, piece of me where I'm just like fiercely dedicated. I will do anything for people. But at the same time, I'm like, but don't get too close. Yeah. Because I've been hurt. Yeah. And so like, I can't have that. And I think that that's where like the sharpness comes from. That makes absolute sense. I think as women, Sarah, we don't, we're not taught that we can have a voice, that we can carve these pathways for ourselves, right? Like I, I don't ever remember anyone saying that to me. I don't remember having that model. And it sounds like it was the same for you. And then to have a man, men, um, and I don't know why men think that they can do this. Like, let me, let me give you advice about how you should be as a woman, which I think is Mm -hmm. asinine. And I think Mm -hmm. it's completely ridiculous. Um, but that, that essentially calluses, right. That, that makes us calloused and, and that makes us um, you know, say, first of all, screw you. Like you said, I, Mm -hmm. you know, you won't tell me what I can do and then develop the skin that it's like the next time this happens, um, it won't sting so much, right? Because I'm going, because I'm not going to let it, I'm not going to let it. Yeah. And I remember a couple weeks ago, um, you know, something awful had happened, something that we were not expecting happened. And, you know, I was asking you how you were doing and you, Mm -hmm. you know, were telling me how you were doing and you were like, but who I am is like, if anyone, if anything, if, if there's anything in my way, I'm going to plow it down. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's a skill that I am recognizing that you've had to develop, Mm -hmm. um, because of who you are, who, you know, who you've grown up to be, who you've had to become in this field. Um, and that has served you, I think really well. Um, and you know, we're behavior analysts and we have this long, and it sounds like you have this long, deep history of reinforcement of plowing down anyone or anything that gets in your way. So I completely can understand how you become calloused and how that kind of comes off to people. And without Mm -hmm. that, you know, understanding that again can be, um, misunderstood. Um, I know you've shared some of the perspectives, um, on the challenges you've faced in your life, um, specifically regarding how you have felt depersonalized, Mm -hmm. um, and the judgments that Mm -hmm. have been made against you. Um, I, you've already kind of talked about how you've come to terms with that, can you talk to us a little bit about how you have um, 
allowed, kind of experienced those, uh, you know, the depersonalization and the judgments and how you've kind of made them work for yourself, how you've kind of formed those into successful movements that you've been able to, to make and navigate mm-hmm. in your life. Yeah. I, and, you know, and part of like 2020 for me has been um, this like bizarre bizarre year. Uh, I think that's likely how many people feel, um, about it, but it's, it's been this, uh, incredible, like incredible opportunity for me to reach these peaks that I didn't think I I could, but then also to come in contact with these valleys that I never wanted to, um, on multiple different levels. And one of the peaks has been, um, that I started, I've been, you know, People that know me well know that I'm very strategic with what I do, mm-hmm. and I'm always thinking ahead. Um, and that's part of what made me successful in business. It's part of what has, you know, allowed me to help work with different, you know, state associations or mm-hmm. other groups to make them successful. Because I'm always multiple steps ahead. I'm looking mm-hmm. at what's the future, what are the trends, where, you know, what are people thinking about, what should we be thinking about? Um, and so I knew, you know, a long time ago that one of the best things that I could do to allow myself to have uh, a future post selling my company, which I did mm-hmm. in June of, of 2019, mm-hmm. um, was to really create a very clear, um, my own personal kind of profile and narrative um, about me. Uh, and I would that I would be able to likely use that to leverage, um, to help draw attention to things that were important to me mm-hmm. and to help launch potentially future efforts of things that I wanted to do. And so I started, you know, working on that through, mm-hmm. you know, Facebook, through, you know, Instagram, um, public speaking, um, to really kind of, you know, have a voice. Um, yeah. That's my voice, and that was, and then that's my real voice, you know, like, mm-hmm. and that's what I think part of the reason. I think that's why people like to listen to me speak because I'm talking to you from me, real Sarah, right? I mean, right. it's not this like sanitized stuff. I mean, sure, you know, if I'm in a professional presentation, I've learned not to drop F-bombs. Right, right. Um, But obviously, you've spent time with me personally, and you're like, those are just (laughs) free-flowing. I mean, literally, like, ask my mother. My mother will be like, oh, this girl has had a potty mouth since the day she could speak. Her first word was mother. Her second word was (laughs) motherfucker. Like this. (laughs) Well, and you learned contractions pretty early on, it sounds like. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, so again, like I've, I've done these things like very, you know, purposefully. Um, but what is odd about our culture and, and this is why 2020 is relevant is, you know, as we've moved into more of this kind of social media culture, as we have become mm-hmm. more kind of like celebrity obsessed. Um, right. and then in this year when we've not been able to see people in person so much, I'm so, I'm deeply removed by, um, or I'm deeply removed from the impact that my words or the the work mm-hmm. that I'm doing may have on other people. So for example, like my business partner, Ryan O'Donnell and I launched this, you know, documentary about Pat Fryman and, and the incredible work of Boys Town um, in April of this mm-hmm. year. And this is a project that took us eight months to make. I mean, it was a passion project for both of us. You know, Pat is a friend, he's a mentor. Um, the work that Boys Town has been doing for over a hundred years, is just it's just incredible. And I, I love this place. It's just mm-hmm. like this magical place built on the power of behavior analysis right. to really help kids that have experienced trauma. Um, and I, I love being there. I mean, and mm-hmm. I'm saying that about Omaha, Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Like I live in California. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm telling you, I will like voluntarily will go to Omaha, you know, yeah. that shit is real. Right. Awesome. Right. And it is. Um, so we, you know, we, had this whole, you know, launch plan that we were going to have this huge premiere at a conference in Boston. Pat was going to be there. We're going to have like a red carpet. It was going to be a whole thing. And of course, like COVID totally screwed that, you know, as it's screwed like so many things for so many of us this year. Um, So I remember we launched this, this documentary. I was in my house in Oakland, um, you know, I was getting kind of feedback about, about it on like, you know, Instagram or direct messages. And even like this past weekend in December, um, you know, we had this, this free weekend where we just were like, Hey, we want to share this with everybody. We got a lot mm-hmm. of feedback on it, but it just, it's just, you know, I'm totally removed from it. Like, mm-hmm. um, and it's, and so people will be like, Oh, Sarah, I'm so proud of your work. Or I, I shared this, or you've, you've had such an impact in, in my life. And it just feels like, so I'm just like, are you talking about me? Yeah. Like, I don't, I just don't ever consider myself to be someone that like is worthy mm-hmm. of those things. But also because like, I'm a very in-person um, 
I'm an extrovert, uh, you know, kind of communicator. Like I want to feel the people that I'm talking to and see them when I, you don't, it's so, it just seems strange. You're like, oh, that thing got 2000 views or 3000 views or I don't like, okay. And especially um, like earlier this fall, like when Feta passed, I mean, I posted a couple of things that had like 20,000 views, 25,000 views. And I just, I don't, it just seems weird. But then it Mm -hmm. also, I think sometimes because of my communication style, I think people think that they know me better than they do. Yes. Um, or they'll make assumptions based on what I've put out. Yes. And and so that has felt really depersonalizing. Like then I be, I yeah. felt like I feel like sometimes I'm treated like this like commodity yeah. or like a this shiny thing. Um yeah. and I sometimes have to remind people like I'm still like a real human person. Human. Um who has like real human needs and yeah. real human problems. Um and so that's been this like interesting thing. It's like, I'm, I'm getting what I've worked to do, which is to have a platform to really help, you know, to grow the things that are important to me. But at the same time that comes with it, um, this kind of like weird removal of like connection. And that's part of why when we started working on our community, um, and you know, kind of when I met with Carol and then, you know, we brought you in and, you know, like Anna and Emily and, and Cammie, this has been like, so important for me because I, I don't, again, like lots of people know me. I know lots of people. Mm-hmm. Um, are there a lot of people that I would say like really know me? No. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, it's been really important for me to, to form that just because again, I feel so removed from even like myself, um, yeah. a lot of the time, if that makes sense. It does. And I want to go back a little bit because you know, you talk about having this big personality and being at these conferences. And, and for those of you who, who don't know, Sarah can um, be at the front of a conference, you know, in a, in a, you know, in a room full of, I don't know, I don't know, I'm bad. Thousands. At I've yeah. 3,000, thousands yeah. of people mm-hmm. and literally command, um, the stage and, and whether you're like, Oh my gosh, I'm for this chick. Or you were like me, like, who is this chick? Um, (laughs) she's commanding and she's delivering information and she's delivering entertainment. And I imagine because I'm the opposite. I mean, I have a big personality, but I have to intimately know you for you to get access to that. Um, but I imagine Sarah, that that is exhausting. Like, Mm -hmm. and, and I think we've talked about this, you know, this code switching and you really being an actor, like, come on, we're going to turn it up. Like, this is what we're going to do. This is the agenda. We want you to really be involved with this, you know, conference or, or, you know, Mm -hmm. be an active participant in in what we're doing. And then COVID hits, right. And you're forced to stay at home, Sarah. Mm -hmm. And what I imagine, you know, based on our conversations is that you're suddenly hit with, yes, it's exhausting, but it's also a way that you're pushing through, Mm -hmm. right? You're pushing through um, maybe some of the heartache that you're experiencing as a human, as a woman, as a mother, right? Because we all have these things that we have to deal with, but you're not able to talk about any of that. You're not able to, um, you don't have a space to really um, let those parts of who you are show. And so you're doing these conferences and you're like putting your energy into this and it's reinforcing and you're getting Mm -hmm. feedback and then COVID hits and it's like, oh crap, it's just me. Yeah. Like, and where are my people and where are the, you know, where's the feedback? And so, right. I mean, it's like, I mean, part of this, yeah, it's like the, you know, the attention is part of the reinforcement. Yeah. Um, but then also I think, you know, and I always have to like, I mean, I want to be honest about this too. Also part of the overlay of all of this is like, I mean, I've had issues with depression for, you know, years and years and years. And those have ebbed and flowed, you know, kind of based on, you know, the therapy that I was seeking, the medication that I was taking and the events that were happening in my life. Um, and, and so also what I think has happened like in 2020, yeah, I mean like all of like my most reinforcing activities is like they were yanked out from under me. Yes. Anyone that knows me, it's like, I'm on a plane every other week. I'm speaking to large groups of people, Mm -hmm. you you know, like I'm presenting, like I'm front facing, I'm out there and like, that's my shit. Right. Right. And all of a sudden it's gone. And so what do I have to do? I have to look at myself in the mirror Yes. and say like, reconcile with myself. Like this This is is, me, you know? Um, and so how do I, in the midst of like all of the work that I was working on for all these conferences last year, you know, pulled like done, 
um, you know, relationships that I thought like I, that I had established and had with people or business opportunities over, um, you know, I had to like really just sit with myself. I had to sit with like my fractured relationship with my kids. I had to sit with like my fractured relationship mm. with their dad. I had to sit with like my, you know, fractured relationship with myself. Yes. Um, and that's knowing also that like I can experience like really deep lows of like depression and like that it's like one of those things where, I mean, and you know, this is like the hardest, the hardest work is often like the best work, yeah. but when you're doing it, it's just excruciating. Yeah. Um, and so that I feel like this year has just been like this massive, like personal stretch for me that has just been exhausting and excruciating mm-hmm. to me and just so deeply painful, but yeah. also, you know, an opportunity to really get clarity um, in terms of like, what are the things that are important to me? Who are the people that are important to me? Um, and also like, how do I mostly like reconcile with myself? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I'm so glad that you understood that like a part of your coping was creating this space, um, Mm -hmm. externally and Mm -hmm. publicly, like, this hurts and this is picking at me and this is nagging at me, but this is how I've learned to cope because I'm getting this reinforcement. And um, that can also be a shield. It can also be a shield. And it can also be like one of those things where I'm just like, Oh, let me access this place. Because if I'm accessing this other stuff, then I don't actually have to access the things that are the most core of me. And, you know, in the most quiet peace in life, like when you're like, there's no one else around and all you're listening to is your own heartbeat. And then you realize like, I fucking hate myself. Like, that's what I was like. It's like, you know, avoidant behavior. And then 2020 happens. And for someone like me, it takes away all of the things that I'm doing to avoid dealing with myself. That's exactly right. And I think, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, no, I was just going to say, and so now I've had to deal with myself. Yeah. And I think so many people, you know, I remember at the beginning of this, like me telling my husband, because he's not one who believes in depression and anxiety. And it's something I've struggled with my whole life, um, Mm -hmm. more recently, more severely. And he, I told him, like, if people don't understand, if you don't understand what mental health, uh, mental illness is, what mental wellness is, you will. And by Mm -hmm. the end of this year, people will. And that's exactly what I've experienced is that people are starting to realize that, hey, I have been stuffing. I have been coping. Mm -hmm. I have been kind of doing these things. And not that there's anything wrong, but that recognition can then kind of open the door for you to really self-examine and yeah. figure out what's broken, um, to be fully representing who you are, not just pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't imagine Sarah, you kind of going through that and looking at your broken relationships with the people that you love and value mm-hmm. most. And then, you know, professionally, um, having all these things taken away from you. And then on top of it, Sarah, um, we, you know, and this makes me emotional every time I talk about it, we really were devastated by the loss of Feta. Um, and I, yeah. And I, I mean, I didn't even know this woman and, and had come to like learn about her story through, uh, through the scoop and, Mm -hmm. um, had remember hearing, you know, like stories about her, you know, 10 years ago as she was kind of, um, starting this movement Mm -hmm. and mourned for like two months, me and my business partner, like she, you know, like just mourned Feta. And then, you know, as I'm getting to know you and I'm thinking like, how are you dealing with all this? And then on top of that, like, how are you navigating this grieving process for like your dear beloved Mm -hmm. beta? Well, and I think, you know, let me back up in terms of like why Fade and I were always so connected. Fade and I were always so connected because we lived life in similar way. She was just this like huge massive personality. Like she would just like hit you like a ton of bricks, (laughs) but she also had this like, you know, huge like heart and capacity for love that was disarming to people. And so even people that, you know, especially when she was doing legislative work that did not see her viewpoint, that did not want to value, you know, the experiences of 
families that have children, especially with severe autism, um, that maybe were questioning, like, why is this, like, Muslim woman in a hijab? Right. But then also she's wearing, like, big hoops and, like, you know, Adidas. like, she's Adidas. Yeah. Like, what? And yeah. so, like, Fade and I, I was always like, I I see you because I see myself in yes. you and, like, I get you. And Fade, it was divisive, right? You know, mm-hmm. um, and I can – I am too. And so we always – you know, that was a really big, like we saw that in each other right away. And we were like, yeah, like we're people. Yeah. Um, I think where we differed, um, is, you know, Feta had some really, you know, really dark demons, um, for her mental health and her struggles. I mean, and I have demons too, but like hers were even bigger than mine. Mm -hmm. Um, and also part of that were just the circumstances, um, in terms of who she was, you know, her, um, her uh, family structure and just her, her own experiences. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so we started the scoop in this, this past summer. Uh, and it was just kind of, it was like this like brainchild I had. And I was like, Hey, I think I'm onto something here. And I think mm-hmm. that it would be really fun for you and I to do something mm-hmm. together. And it was this great way for us to kind of blend like our too muchness um, and, and also anyone that listened to this group would know, like, I was always like the kind of like straight, like, let me be professional and add some, you know, like validated, uh, yeah. studies to whatever, yeah. you know, like we're, uh, we're talking about. And Fada was just like, ugh, fuck your studies. Yeah. You know? like, <laughs> she said often, like, I don't read those articles. She's like, I don't read that shit. She's like, that's yeah, your, I don't you know, know like, it would drive me crazy. Um, right. but again, I, I think that we, we were able, you know, but people could see like our like real connection through that. Um, and you know, but also, and I've talked about this honestly, and I talked about this on like the last episode of the scoop. I was mad. I was mad at her before, before she died. Um, and we had a really healing conversation, like, uh, the two, the day and a half, a day and a half before she passed. Um, because, you know, I felt like she was, you know, she was just really struggling, um, so much, uh, with so many things going on in her life. And I just felt like she was, you know, engaging in behavior that was like hurtful to herself and she wasn't being, her true self and like honoring herself. And, you know, um, we just, we had this wonderful conversation. And and so I feel I am heartened by the fact that I don't think that there were words left unsaid. Mm-hmm. And that was really important to me. And I think if we hadn't have had that conversation, that would have, her death would have been even like worse for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think like my thing with her is that she just never, she was like on the precipice of of what her life could be. And I saw that and I see that in so many women. And I also see that in myself. And I was just like, I can't, I can't watch other women go through this, you know? Yeah. It's, I can't watch another woman's light who's so bright um, not be able to like shine in the way that I know that it could. Yeah. And, you know, and so it was just like, that was the devastating, that was the devastating piece. Um, is there was just, there, there was so much left. And so like, I remember it's like, she, I was walking with my friend Jen. So I, the day that I found out that she died, it was a Saturday morning and I was hiking with my friend Jen. Um, and I turned off, you know, my phone, because like we were hiking and I wanted to be present. And I remember going back to my car um, and I would like had, of course, go get coffee. Cause you know that I have a very deep addiction. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's, like, I mean, it's so deep. I mean, like, it's like, shit, I don't have anything else. Like I, you know, I really don't drink, you know, like I'm too old now. Like I can't eat carbs as much as I want. Cause it just like goes straight to my like fucking hips. So like I'm yeah. going to drink caffeine and like that that's my thing. Yeah. And I remember getting this like message on Facebook. I was in line at Pete's and it was like the most bizarre experience I've ever had in my life. It was like an out of body experience. And it was from Ryan, my business partner. And he's like, yeah. are you okay? And I yeah. was like, yeah, Ryan, I'm fine. Like whatever. I'm at Pete's. I just went on a hike. Like what's your problem? Yeah. Um, and he's like, well, I heard something about Feta and a fire. And I was like, what are you talking about? And I didn't know. Yeah. And then I like went on my Facebook and I had all these messages and then I started getting all these text messages and I was just like, what? And I remember I drove back, you know, to my house and like Jay had like called me and he's like, are you okay? He's like, do you need me to come get you? And I'm like, no, I can, I can make it home. And I like, I drove back in silence and I just hadn't done anything. And it was, as soon as I opened the door to the house and I saw him, I just like burst into tears and he burst into tears. 
um, because she really loved him. We had a whole yeah. group text called yeah. Sister Wives. And she's like, listen, baby, you take care of him in the bedroom, but we know that you can't cook I'll worth shit, but yeah. I'm going to feed him. And so for Jay, this was yeah. like, he was like, yeah. this is I yeah. reached Nirvana, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and we were just so sad. And like all the kids, you know, like the kids were home and it like scared them, you know, because kids don't know what to do. And like it's their parents are sad and we right. were sobbing and, right. um, and it was just like this, you know, this thing that just like hit me like a ton of bricks and, and like you and I have talked about it. And part of it is like, I've, you know, I just was so distraught and I'm just like, here's just, you know, like I've lost this great person yeah. who had this amazing light, you know, I've had all of this like shitty stuff happen. Um, you know, this year, so many people have had shitty stuff happen this year. And I was just like in this like dark place. Yeah. And so I decided to go, my birthday was the following week. Yeah. Um, and I was like, I need to go home. I need to go to Seattle. I need to go to my family. And so initially I was just going to go for a day and I'm like, you know what? I want to go for a week. By the way, I haven't spent a week in Seattle since I was like <laughs> since, 20. Since <you> left. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm 44. Um, but just for those of you that you know, here's a short plug for Seattle in early October. It's a lovely time of year. Um, <laughs> so I go to Seattle um, and I remember talking to my dad who's just like, you know, he has so much wisdom, my dad. And he's just like, hey, he's like, Sarah, let me tell you something. I was like, what, Jeff? Uh, and he's like, have you ever noticed – that the lost and found is the same place. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, sometimes when you think that you are the most lost, that's actually when you're the closest to being found. Being found. And I was like, I don't know what that means. Thank you. I mean, it sounds like, you know, my dad has <laughs> Thanks, like all these Jeff. like Jeffisms. Yeah. <laughs> but literally after that, I was thinking um, and walking and hiking and just I spent a lot of time by myself. Um, and I finally realized, I'm just like, that's it. That's like it. The, these, like a connection, like this connection that Veda and I had and these connections that I have, you know, with like the central women in my life, like those are like my life, my lifeblood. Right? right. You know, and it's like, I love, you know, I'm not saying like, I don't love dudes. Like I love Jay. Like he's mm-hmm. fantastic and, mm-hmm. you know, a great partner to me, but there's just something so special and unique about those female relationships um, and that's when I really kind of the whole concept for, uh, defy, um, formerly reveal, but it's defy yeah. now, yeah. uh, was really born and, you know, by putting, being able to really, and like putting myself out there on like social media, especially just like, I'm struggling kind of, this is what I'm thinking about. Like people started to like write me messages. And so then this great woman, Carol Bell in Phoenix, wrote me a message and I met her before and she's like, I think we should talk. And so then yeah. we did. And then we realized we both think that there, there's something here that women like need more authentic connection and community. And then like you reached out to me yeah. and then we talked and I was like, there's something there with Danielle. I'm like, we're so different, but she has this way <laughs> of like soft, like I can be soft with you, you know? And that was from the start. Like it was, there's just like a softness and like a genuine interest in like who I am as a person. And then, you know, I talked to Anna who I've known since before she was born and she lives in Australia. And I was like, (laughs) Anna, I've been watching you do all this like great marketing and graphic design. What about this? And like slowly through this, you know, process of putting this community together, it's putting the pieces of me back together. And And that's been just like this like incredible gift and exercise um, of like love, you know, and that's, and I'm just like, and that's what I know, like Veda would just like fucking love this. Like she would love this um, to be able to have like this place where, you know, women can like really talk about the things that matter to them and to be authentic and to be seen. Um, And that's just been so it's just been this like incredible life-giving experience. And my dad, Jeff, so right. I didn't know that when I really, again, like I was in Seattle, you know, I'm turning 44. It's been really hard on me to like age. Cause I feel like with women, it's just like men are allowed to age and like George Clooney can be sexy at 70, but like, who do we have? We get yeah. Jennifer Lopez. We have Halle Berry yeah. and maybe like Sandra Bullock and Helen Mirren. There's four women that are allowed to be sexy <laughs> right. after 45 and the rest of us are hag. And, you know, and that's, that's right. hard for me because like I like 
feel, you know, like I don't think of myself as 44. I still think I'm like 27. Right, right. <laughs> so it's like, I'm, right. you know, like I'm aging and I'm just like, oh, my life is horrible. And everything I've done this year is horrible. And like, I'm so, I'm just so sad about it. I just, I'm despondent. I'm despondent. Right. Yeah. Um, but I was closer to being uh, found uh, when I was the most lost. And uh, thank God for Jeff. Um, I He's a pretty great guy. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope to meet him because it sounds exactly like something that I could relate to and understand. But thank God for your being lost in that place, Sarah, because without that, we couldn't have you. If you, without that, you wouldn't have made that post, right? Mm-hmm. And and like for, I keep saying this, I had been thinking of reaching out to you for a long time. And then I saw that post and immediately like sent you an email and was like, mm-hmm. look, this is what's on my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, you have allowed yourself to be vulnerable um, in this community, which I don't know that you even had plans to do when you started this. Like, you know, this is, I'm going to you know, show the softer side of myself, but, you know, between you, me and Carol and, and this amazing weekend that we had last weekend, um, I really understand, um, the specialness of, of what we're creating and mm-hmm. kind of this community, um, and, and getting someone like you, you know, and someone like me to work together to really create this space where we are showing women how to unapologetically be who they are, right? Not just the badassness, which we all are, um, not just, you know, the softies like I am, um, <laughs> <laughs> like, but really, like, how do we present, you know, who we are? authentically and entirely and thank God for Jeff and thank God for your heart, Sarah. I really, um, it's just, it's been a blessing getting to know you and, um, being a part of this community. And I know it's not easy. I know it's not easy being lost. I know it's not easy being, um, having to look at yourself in the mirror and, and say, Whoa, Mm -hmm. this is me. This is what 42, 44 years, um, has got me. Um, but the important part, and, and this is a big part of my story and my journey, is understanding, well, this is who I am. What am I going to do with it? And how yep. am I going to um, forge ahead and, and, and be better than I was yesterday? And I definitely um, see that. You were badass before, but you are just um, so special. And I am just thrilled that um, I'm on this journey with you. I mean, I, I am too. And I think what I know I've, I've been all about talking about silver linings in, in 2020 and I have had, you know, a, a tremendous amount of clarity, especially after losing Faye to Inmu, um, the like our time on earth is fleeting. It's, short. it's so short. Yeah, um, and like, when. yeah, you don't know when. And so like really, you got nothing to lose (laughs) by leading in with love and compassion. You have nothing to lose by wanting to be true to yourself and and by being willing to ask those hard questions. You have nothing to lose um, with being willing to, you know, be vulnerable in order to like obtain, you know, and create those, those connections and, and relationships. So like, do it. Do it. You know. Do it. And I, I'm going to share this, and I know we're we're wrapping up, and um, but I want to share this because um, you know you're a badass. We keep saying that Carol is a badass. Mm-hmm. Like people don't know, they're going to know. Um, and I remember, you know, understanding how you two are just badasses and me thinking, where do I fit in? You know, and I know that I, I'm a badass in my own right, but really thinking, where do I fit in and spending this weekend with you and realizing I have a place right alongside you. Um, it's different. It's a different skill set. It's a different, um, you know, kind of part of the equation, but that is what defy is. That's the community that we're building is like, you are, perfect just as you are. Just bring it to the table um, so that we can work together and build a really amazing community together. Um, and that's, you know, kind of how I conceptualize Defy as is 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 just that. Mm-hmm. I couldn't agree more. Microphone drop, yo. Yo. <laughs> well, thank you, Miss Sarah. This has been awesome getting to know your heart. Um, 
yeah, this has been really awesome. Thanks for listening to Defy. We really appreciate your support. And we hope that you listen to all of the different podcasts that we've put together. And guess what? We're available on all of the podcast platforms and on social media too. And we even have a website. Like seriously, we have all of that stuff. You can find us at www.defy.community. You can find us on Instagram at defy.comm. On Facebook using the same defy.comm. Or you can even send me an email if you just want to chat about something or if you have an idea of a podcast that you think would be really great for our community. Our email is contact at defy.community. We hope that you have found something that you can take away from this podcast that will impact your life. We hope that you continue to defy society's expectations of you. Because remember, baby, well-behaved women rarely make history.